Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 45 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce, and I am one of the co-founders of 2QBs.com, and we're on Twitter at 2QBs, T-W-O-Q-B-S. And I'm proud to announce that uh, today, July 17th, is the day when our 2017 draft guide for 2QB and Superflex Leagues has been released. 170 pages of content with rankings, auction values, projections, all sorts of amazing analysis from a bunch of great writers and contributors. Uh, $1 from every copy sold will be donated to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. You can order it at 2QBs.com. And you can use the special promo code for this podcast, 2QBXP, and that's the number 2QBXP, and get 10% off your copy of the draft guide. We're also going to give away a copy of the draft guide for a listener who rates and reviews this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else. Uh, to enter, all you have to do is take a screenshot of your review, send it to us on Twitter at 2QBs, and that's T-W-O-Q-B-S, or uh, by email, 2QBs at gmail.com, spelled the same way. I'll announce the winner in two weeks at the end of July. And, you know, one of my favorite features from the draft guide is a 12-team Superflex mock draft we did. All sorts of smart people from around the industry. And one of those folks is on the line with me. He is our guest this week. Uh, it's Evan Silva from Roto World, at Evan Silva on Twitter. Thanks for joining me, Evan. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, how have things been going? I know you told me you weren't doing Scott Fishbowl, but are you still uh, grinding those MFL 10s and whatnot? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Doing a bunch of uh, MFL 10s, MFL 25s, uh, starting to get a little bit more into some FFPC best ball drafts with the tight premium. Getting ready for training camp, man. We are starting up real soon here. It's right around the corner and I can't wait. But I wanted to have you on to kind of tackle a, a heavy subject. And what we're going to look at today are difficult to evaluate players, guys that we've both struggled to kind of get a feel for in our drafts and our rankings, all that good stuff. And I just want to dive in. Are you ready? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, let's start with quarterbacks. We are uh, 2QBs.com. We're a 2QB-centric site. But, you know, this analysis and, and, you know, ranking these guys relative to one another is something that you can apply in every type of league. And who, who's a guy for you that stood out as someone who's more difficult to rank than, than other quarterbacks? Uh, I think that Cam Newton stands out to me as pretty difficult to rank. We know that he had a lot of regression last year after his 2015 NFL MVP season, but did not anticipate the amount of regression that he would have. Um, the Panthers offensive line went into the tank uh, the year before. They allowed 61 quarterback hits last year. They allowed 93 quarterback hits, you know, and Cam Newton is the type of quarterback that, when he gets hit early in the game, it seems like there's a tendency for him to go in, in a tank and play the rest of the game in a sort of daze. And, I mean, he was just hurt so much last year. After the season, Ron Rivera admitted that Cam Newton was shook. That was the, the word that Ron Rivera used. And he's going to have to dial back his running going forward, even after Cam set career lows in per-game rushing attempts and per-game rushing yards. Last year, I think he's going to experience some positive regression in terms of his touch, his passing touchdowns. He was at a career low 3.7% last year, and that should be up toward the five range this year. But again, the offensive line is bad. They don't want him to run as much. And he missed all of spring practices to rehab a, a, a throwing shoulder surgery in his throwing arm. That's always concerning. He has resumed passing now and, and throwing before training camp, but he missed a big chunk of time to get, you know, get familiar with what is expected to be a revised offense that is going to use a lot more short area stuff. You know, the Panthers for years made their offense so that Cam would be a five and seven step drop passer. And now they're going to ask him to get the ball out of his hands quickly, where historically he has struggled with accuracy and ball placement and ball location. So miss that big chunk of practice time to be able to have some familiarity and some comfort entering training camp. Um, and so he's a really tough guy to rank for me. I think that he ends up on the more optimistic side. I have him at quarterback seven just because of his upside but to me in a standard redraft league he's still a late round quarterback i have him right behind marcus Mariota as like a ninth tenth round target uh, in a standard you know not, not a, a two quarterback league uh, and his adps are quarterback seven and quarterback eight so right in line with his adp uh, in terms of my ranking for him but 
a lot of reasons for caution and not somebody I'm going out of my way to draft this year. Yeah, I have him in a similar spot. I have him at QB6 just ahead of Mariota, but I regard those guys in a pretty similar tier. It's it's kind of a weird tier, you know, that group of passers right behind the elite guys, the top five or six, and he still feels like he's ahead of that middle class of QBs, you know, the, you know, Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton, that whole kind of range of, of quarterbacks. Uh, does that make Cam like an upper middle class player? Does he drive a Cadillac while these other QBs in the tier are driving Chevys? I don't know. Like, it's traditionally the most dangerous tier of quarterbacks for two QB leagues because a lot of times what happens is drafters will miss out on those elite players in the early rounds and they'll feel rushed to kind of pick up the slack and, and take those next highest ranked passers like Cam, like Matt Ryan, or whoever else. And, and I think that the car analogy lines up pretty well there for, for me like in my late round QB philosophy, even for two quarterback formats, because I'm perfectly content with, you know, the, the Honda Civic types, you know, that that's, that's where I'm going to try to find value. Yeah. I am curious to see how that offense looks. You, you bring up a really good point there. And that's, that's my main question as well is if they're trying to incorporate more of that short passing game, does that mean more guys, you know, around the line of scrimmage also negatively impacting his rushing upside? Um, especially because, like you said, they plan to run him less. Like, And that's where he got so much of his value in past seasons. He, he's a really interesting case. I, I'm with you, though. I'm still a little optimistic, if only because last season was so bad. Yeah, and I think that their plan is the right one, to try to preserve him, to try to reduce the number of hits he takes. You know, the Steelers did this to some extent with – uh, Todd Haley, when um, when Todd Haley went to uh, Pittsburgh and began coaching uh, Ben Roethlisberger, and steadily they have tried to scale back the number of hits that he takes uh, by utilizing an offense that gets rid of the, the quarterbacks, gets the ball out of the quarterback's hand more quickly. And I, so I think that the idea is the right one. I just I don't know if they're going to be able to fully execute in year one, and it. it it bothers me that he was not available for the whole off-season program to be able to work with with his new toys. Yep, and it'll just be interesting to see how that impacts his fantasy production. It might make them a better team, but from our perspective, what we're looking for, that it might make him a worse passer. I want to move on to one of the quarterbacks that's been tough for me to kind of evaluate this off-season, and that's Dak Prescott. He, like Newton, kind of got a lot of his uh, you know, fantasy value last year from selective rushing like he had plenty of rushing touchdowns he didn't rush for a ton of yards I'm worried that you know regression is coming after that rookie campaign like everything broke right for him in 2016 I have some concerns about the Cowboys offensive line not being quite as dominant this year the suspension for Zeke Elliott being a possibility is also concerning and I'm still not impressed with the receivers in Dallas behind Des Bryant what do you think about Prescott this year yeah, so everything kind of worked out right for last year's Cowboys. I think they finished, what, 13-3. and three. They played the easiest schedule in the NFL. Uh, they were able to, I don't want to say hide Dak, but definitely put him in favorable circumstances for most of the season. And then when Des Bryant came back healthy around mid-year, uh, the Cowboys became more of a vertical passing team, and Prescott was very effective as a downfield thrower. Uh, he had the NFL's sixth best QB rating on 20-plus yard throws. He uh, had the NFL's third best yards per pass attempt behind only Matt Ryan. I'm sorry, the fourth best pa- pa- yards per pass attempt behind only Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, and Kirk Cousins. Um, so and I think that the Cowboys are likely to face more adverse circumstances this year, certainly because they may not have uh, Ezekiel Elliott for an extended period of time where we, we continue to learn about that. Uh, they lost two offensive linemen. It might not be as good as a run blocking team and their schedule is much more difficult. Again, played the easiest, uh, schedule in the NFL last year coming off that four and 12 season the year before with Kellen Moore and Matt Castle and that debacle. And now they have one of the 10 toughest schedules, uh, in the league. So I think we are going to see the Cowboys have to open it up a little bit more. Their defense is still an issue, and it is unlikely that they will be able to impose their will with the running game quite as efficiently and stay as committed to the run this year. And they're going to have to open it up, I think, a little bit uh, in the passing game. And I think that that's where Dak can make up or compensate for what is likely to be some rushing touchdown loss. I mean, you mentioned it. He scored six rushing touchdowns last season that's a lot you know I think that the over under for Dak Prescott 
his rushing touchdowns this year would be like three and a half. He was, if he's going to lose three rushing touchdowns, that's 18 points off his total. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to compensate in some manner. I think that he is a good enough passer, and um, the Cowboys are going to be in enough situations where they have to throw the ball downfield more this year that he can uh, return his ADP for sure and offer a lot of upside at his ADP, which, I mean, he's still in that quarterback 12, quarterback 13 range, which is a pretty nice price, in, in my opinion, for a guy who finished as a quarterback six last year, still has that, you know, unlikely to score as many rushing touchdowns, but still has that ability to rack up points with his legs and I think will be a more voluminous, a higher volume passer this year out of necessity. So if you have him around his ADP in that QB 12 range, what quarterbacks are you ranking him ahead of? Do you have him ahead of guys like Cousins and Carr and Rivers and Dalton? I do. I have him ahead of all those guys. The the quarterbacks I have right in front of Dak Prescott and I have him in a, a, a little tier are Mariota at quarterback six, Cam at quarterback seven, Matt Ryan at quarterback eight, and Dak Prescott is my quarterback nine, right ahead of Kirk Cousins. Okay, interesting. I'm definitely lower on him than you are, but I also tend to think that all these guys are relatively close in value, so I kind of just want the ones who are being drafted later. And I think based upon ADP, that means I'm probably not going to end up with Dak very much, but if you do believe that he can make a, like I'm talking to the listeners now, the the grand you, of course, Um, if you do believe that Dak is going to kind of deliver on that, you know, passing upside that Evan's talking about, he's definitely worth that cost because we've seen him do it before, and that offense should still be pretty good. Um, I want to pivot now to a listener question, and he brings up a quarterback and and how to evaluate. This is actually from Sean Slavin, at Slavin22 on Twitter. He contributed to the 2QB's draft guide, um, our draft strategy article, and it is amazing. So um, definitely check that out if you pick up the guide. And he asks, how do you manage usage expectations for Tyrod Taylor with a new offensive coordinator in Rick Dennison, whose most mobile quarterback he's worked with was Jay Cutler? What do you think about that question, Evan? I think it's a good question. I think that the Bills offense, just because of their personnel and how limited they are at receiver and how fragile they are at receiver, not a whole lot is going to change in terms of their run-pass volume. I think they've been uh, second in the NFL in rushing attempts over the past two years, uh, or definitely they've been they've finished second in the NFL in rushing yards in each of the past two years. And because they have a running quarterback, and because they have a great offensive line, because they have uh, Shady McCoy, and because of their fragility in the passing in the pass catcher core, I just I don't think that they're the way that they want to play is going to change this year. They do have a super difficult schedule. Um, so that's something to consider and, and could lead to a little bit more volume. But I think really what, what your concern should be with Tyrod Taylor this year is, you know, is Sammy Watkins going to uh, be able to stay healthy? Because Tyrod's career averages with Sammy Watkins in the lineup are significantly better. He's still been a top 10 quarterback each of the past two years. Uh, but, you know, for him to really smash uh, this year, I think he's going to need Sammy Watkins. I would love to be able to get 14 games out of Sammy Watkins this year. I think it could make a real difference for Tyrod. You know, again, dealing with the injuries to Sammy Watkins the past two years, Tyrod has still been a top 10 guy. So he's he's one of the best values, I think, out there. He He could really hit it big if Sammy is able to play 13, 14 games this year. Yeah, I'm with you on all accounts. I think that Watkins' health is is a big concern. And then you brought up the the notion of a potentially different style of offense. Uh, I think if there are changes there, it may actually be better for him if they throw more. But like you said, they're not really built to do that. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And I think that makes him an interesting player to rank. But from my perspective, we've seen the rushing upside. We know that Sammy Watkins has a better chance of staying healthy this year than probably either of the past two years. So I'm buying. I think that Tyrod's a really nice pick, and I'm not too concerned about our new offensive coordinator and whatnot. Let's get into running backs. Who's a guy at that position where you're struggling to, to get a good feel? I think that the optimism in the community about Amir Abdullah is a little bit interesting. I am not... Uh, quite as optimistic. I mean, I loved Amir Abdullah coming out of Nebraska, uh, and I love his talent, 
But, you know, these running backs who are in situations where they do not have a strong grip on goal line opportunities and they do not have a strong grip on passing game opportunities find themselves at risk of having a lot of like 13, 15 carry, you know, 75 yard games with no scores and one or two or maybe three in a good week catches. And I think Amir Abdullah is in danger of being that back that he has been really to this point. He is at RB21, uh, or he was at RB21 in the month of June, RB24 on Fantasy Football Calculator, going ahead of Mark Ingram, Bilal Powell, Danny Woodhead. You know, in a a PPR league, I would rather have Mark Ingram, Bilal Powell, Danny Woodhead for sure than Amir Abdullah. I I have Amir Abdullah as the RB33. He's kind of in a no-man's land. You, you, You know, you would be willing to consider him like in the mid to late seventh round of a 12-team draft, but he's not someone you're for me that he's particularly exciting because I just don't know how much upside he has. I think he would need Theo Riddick to get hurt to really realize his upside, and he he definitely need to score touchdowns, which is something that Zach Zenner at six foot 223 pounds, Dwayne Washington at six foot one 223, Matt Asiata is in Detroit right now. You know, those are specialist type backs. Who the Lions feel more maybe may feel more comfortable giving the ball to at the goal line than Abdullah, who is dynamic in the open field, but is only five foot nine, two oh five, and that's without even talking about how often Amir Abdullah has been injured his first two years in the league. Yeah, this is a great call here, and I, and I love that you brought up that you liked him coming out of school. I, th- I remember you talking to I think Sig Bloom on the couch about just how much you loved him coming out of school and, and you know, the, the big ideas that we had about what he could do in that offense. But you're right. They just put these pieces around him that are competing for touches. And it's not just, I, I love that you went beyond just the Aritic and Zach center. It's those goal line backs. It's even golden Tate. And I've actually ended up with more shares of Zach Zenner just based on cost. Zenner is essentially free, and we know that if Abdullah gets hurt again, Zenner's going to have a role. He probably already ha- does have a role. So why not target uh, you know those later round guys and let Abdullah go to somebody else? I, I mean, is is Abdullah's situation really all that different than the timeshares that are facing Mark Ingram, C.J. Anderson, Mike Gillisley, Eddie Lacy, or Spencer Ware? It's just one big tier of uncertainty. But what I can say about those other guys is that they're all probably the goal line backs. And Abdullah just doesn't have that. I love that you, you make that call. I, I totally agree on all fronts. He's being drafted higher than all those guys. Um, his ADP is around pick 60 in MFL 10s, according to Josh ADHD's MFL 10 Live app. And that just makes me want to stay away. I never want to try to go after the guy at the top of a tier. What other running backs are you looking at and, and struggling with? Spencer Ware is definitely a guy who... I've had, you know, a, a difficult time evaluating. Uh, he was awesome in the first six weeks of last season. I mean, he averaged over 18 touches per game. He averaged almost 5.2 yards per carry. And the rest of the way, he, it was like he kind of hit a wall. Um, the, the Chiefs did lose their left guard, Parker Ehinger, um, in week eight to a torn ACL, which may have played a role in Spencer Ware's uh, struggles in the back half of the season. Uh, Spencer Ware actually averaged 5.3 yards per carry and Parker Ehinger's appearances compared to 3.8 yards per carry when Ehinger was out. Uh, but his season was just overall really mediocre. Spencer Ware was 37th among 57 running backs in pro football focus rushing grade. He was 22nd of 42 backs in football outsiders, uh, D D Y A R defense defense adjusted yards above replacement. Uh, he was really good in the passing game when he got opportunities, but they just did not give him a lot of opportunities. And it just seems like they do not see him as a receiving back. And now you have Kareem hunt going there and Kareem hunt caught over 40 passes his final season at Toledo. Uh, so I have Spencer Ware in PPR as the RB 27, and he's going off the board as RB19 and the RB24, depending on where you look right now. You know, I, I like him as a football player, but I don't know that he's a full-time back. And now he has significantly more competition for carries in an offense that could take a step back this year. You know, no Jeremy Macklin. Uh, they're, they're down on their quarterback. They're putting a lot on Tyreek Hill's plate. Um, so Spencer Ware, not really a guy I'm excited about drafting. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. My primary concern is that kind of last point you brought up. Just what if the Kansas City offense just isn't very good? 
I, I kind of want to pick your brain on that a little bit. What do you see happening to where and maybe some of the other pieces in this offense if the Chiefs do kind of go in the tank and decide to turn the keys from Alex Smith over to Pat Mahomes? Do you see that being a negative or a positive impact for any of these skill position players? Pretty much a complete unknown, just because of how raw Patrick Mahomes is considered to be coming out of Texas Tech. You know, he is a good athlete, and he could maybe add some, uh, so, so you know, a little bit of a dual threat on the ground. Although Alex Smith already has that. You know, I think long term, it's possible that Patrick Mahomes, with a bigger arm and a very aggressive mentality, that was one thing that stuck out about him watching him play in college, how aggressive he is and how much of a natural born playmaker he is. He could maybe unlock someone like Chris Conley. I think that because of the uncertain role with the third round rookie that the Chiefs traded up to get in Kareem Hunt and the uncertain state of the offense, uh, Spencer Ware is, you know, a, a concerning investment this year. And then if Patrick Mahomes were installed to play, which I don't think would happen before the final month of the season, but it, I think it, there's a very good possibility that it does happen because I don't think the Chiefs are going to be as good this year as they have been in, in past years. It's just, it's really hard to say what kind of an impact that would have if it would really have any impact at all. I mean, the Chiefs have been a conservative, slow-paced, you know, sort of run-oriented team for most of Andy Reid's tenure there, and my guess is that that probably wouldn't change, uh, particularly as they're like trying to ease in a rookie quarterback coming from you know a wide-open air raid spread offense. All right, let's move on to uh, another one of these running backs. This one's one of mine, and and I've had a really hard time trying to figure out where I want to have LeGarrette Blunt land in my rankings. Uh, I'm just really, I have a lot of questions. How is he going to look on a significantly worse team than the New England Patriots? And how much will Darren Sproles, Wendell Smallwood, and maybe even Ryan Matthews eat into his touches? It seems like this is a really fluid situation. How do you see it playing out for Blunt and the Eagles? I think there are a couple of reasons to be optimistic. One is that the Eagles last year finished number seven in pro football focuses yards created before contact per attempt on the offensive line. And they return all five starters from their offensive line. Uh, they also finished number 13 in football outsiders adjusted line yards. So they have a, a very good offensive line. And that was while they were missing Lane Johnson, probably their best offensive lineman, stud right tackle for 10 games. So I think that they are going to be able to create holes in the run game. One big difference that LeGarrette Blunt will experience going from New England to Philadelphia is that last year the Patriots gave LeGarrette Blunt 120, the most in the league, 121 of his carries in an I formation with a fullback in front of him. Last year's Eagles did not even carry a fullback on their roster, and this year's Eagles, even with the 90-man limits, you know, in the off season, they still don't have a fullback on their roster. Wow. So the scheme is much different. Uh, they did rank top 10 in rushing touchdowns last year. They had 16. They only had three fewer than the Patriots. Patriots finished with 19. Um, so I don't think that – I mean, I think that there are going to be some scheme changes for sure that LeGarrette Blount is going to have to overcome. And it's concerning that he really has never been effective outside of New England. I know people got excited about him as a rookie. He was really inefficient in Tampa Bay in those early years, and he eventually got let go. You know, I don't think he's going to come anywhere close to 18 touchdowns or 307 touches that he had last year in New England. And like on Fantasy Football Calculator, he's the RB26 in ADP. That's in PPR leagues. You know, I think that that is a bad ADP. That's way too high. Yeah, but he is the RB36 as opposed to the RB26, the RB36 in MFL 10s. And I, you know, I like him in non PPR for sure. He's maybe the most touchdown dependent running back in fantasy football. So I think that there are spots to target a guy like LeGarrette Blunt. I think he makes sense in best ball leagues. I think that he makes a lot of sense in non PPR leagues. I think that he's someone that you want to avoid if you play in a, a, a PPR league where you have to make week to week roster decisions because He's gonna he's gonna hurt your 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 brain, um, you know, trying to figure out when when to use him and when to not. And he's going to give you a really really low weekly floor because he does not catch passes. And although the Eagles have kind of talked up his ability to catch passes, I mean that's just that's not gonna happen this year. So you know he's a specific format kind of player because he's so touchdown dependent. 
Just out of curiosity, what do you think about the other backs in that backfield? Sproles, Smallwood, etc. Are, are those guys that you're drafting? I mean, Sproles has definitely got PPR upside. Are you touching him at all? Yeah, I think that the signing of LeGarrette Blunt essentially solidified Darren Sproles' role as the passing game dominator there. And then I think eventually they may hand those keys over to Donnell Pumphrey maybe next year. But I think that this is going to be another year of Darren Sproles, who's been a top 30 PPR back in back-to-back seasons. Uh, Wendell Smallwood, you know, the beat writers there kind of think he might be on the roster bubble. So I don't have a whole lot of hope for him right now, you know, especially after a rookie season where he just did not show much. Let's move across that NFC East division and talk about Paul Perkins. He's one of the guys who you had on your list. And the, the Giants offense in general is one huge landmine to me. Eli Manning and his you know, seemingly declining arm talent are a real concern for Perkins value in my mind. I, I think I, I think if the Giants can't push the ball downfield, that means more defenders around the line of scrimmage. And we know that Perkins or we haven't seen Perkins show that he's an especially gifted back yet. What concerns you about Perkins or what makes him difficult for you to to kind of evaluate this season? He's difficult to evaluate, I think, because, number one, I liked him coming out of college. I liked him a little bit better than his draft slot. He was a fifth-round pick in the real NFL draft. And I think that I like him better than some people in the fantasy community. There's a lot of people that just totally think he stinks. But he just, he didn't really, he hasn't shown anything at the NFL level to make us say like, ooh, you know, this, this is a good, you know, this, this is a guy who could really blow it up this year. Um, he does have a lot of opportunity. The Giants are missing the third most carries from last year's roster in the NFL. They're missing almost 200 carries from last year. Uh, ben McAdoo and Craig Johnson, their running backs coach, have, have both been sounded super high on Paul Perkins, Ben McAdoo already named him the starter, and Craig Johnson, their RB's coach, called him a three-down back. So I think that you know they're obviously high on him, uh, but it's surprising that they are so high on him after his rookie year. He barely earned a timeshare with Rashad Jennings, who's now out of football. Uh, on 112 carries, Perkins finished 26th among 42 running backs in Football Outsiders DVOA and 31st of 42 backs in success rate. So he wasn't very efficient. Uh, he had only two runs longer than 20 yards and he went scoreless on nine red zone touches. The, you know, the inability to generate big plays, inability to be uh, efficient on a play to play basis. Those are concerning. He was a 28th percentile spark athlete coming out of college. And now Shane Vereen is back after taking a $1 million pay cut to be the passing game specialist. Um, and then they've also talked up Orleans Darkwa, who's like a straight ahead banger who could be used at the goal line. So the situation, it, it concerns me, although his opportunity looks pretty good on paper. The situation, again, concerns me that we may not see a lot of use out of him in the passing game because of Shane Vereen. And I don't know that he's going to get the ball on the goal line. It could be Orleans Darkwa or, you know, somebody else. I'm just being conservative on him. I have him as a running back 32. I have him behind Frank Gore. I have him behind Derrick Henry, who obviously does not have nearly as much opportunity, but way more upside than Paul Perkins. And then I have uh, Paul Perkins pretty much neck and neck with Abdullah, who we just talked about, and a little bit ahead of C.J. Anderson. Yeah, that's interesting. I have him similarly ranked at QB thir- or at RB33. Um, some of the names I have around him are a little different, uh, but I have him right around uh, Samaje P. Ryan, Jonathan Stewart, LeGarrette Blunt. Um, it's clear that our rankings are very different, but that's that's fantasy, right? One more running back I want to get to. Uh, this is Thomas Rawls. And I'll admit, I, I bought into some of the Eddie Lacy hype when he signed with the Seattle Seahawks. But there are some glowing reports that are starting to come out for Rawls. And whether weight-related or not, Eddie Lacy has had trouble staying on the field. So are we underrating Rawls? I mean, his current ADP is all the way down around pick 152 in MFL 10s. That's, again, according to Fantasy ADHD's app. But that that seems too low relative to the potential opportunity in that offense, right? Yeah, I think that he needs an injury to Eddie Lacy, though. To, to really become any kind of a factor, I think that he's going to need – I mean, unless he just beats Lacy out – outright in training camp which i don't even know if that's entirely on the table right now i mean i don't think the seahawks sign eddie lacy on that unless they're trying to turn the page a little bit on thomas rawls uh i he is intriguing at his low cost 
and we've seen what he can do. I mean, this guy is a rookie a couple of years ago, led the NFL in yards per carry. Russell Wilson struggled with his mobility due to multiple injuries last year. They had the worst offensive line in the league, and Thomas Rawls just spent the year pretty much taking hits in the backfield. Um, and now he you know, has the, the rug pulled out from beneath him with the Eddie Lacy signing. But I think that he's still – you know, it's just I don't know how he's going to be able to carve out any sort of value unless Eddie Lacy gets hurt. But, you know, at the same time, that is something that's very much on the table. I mean, Tom, Eddie Lacy has spent the last two off seasons training like a common man, you know, doing P90X, which is something that, you know, we, we may do, you know, as like fantasy writers. And that's not really a way to keep yourself in shape in the NFL, although he has made his weight. Uh, in Seattle, it doesn't mean that he's been taking care of his body in the right way. So he is a major, major injury risk. And I think that at, at that point, if, if that were to occur, Thomas Rawls could be a real factor. But, you know, is that going to happen after four games? Is that going to happen after 10 games? You know, is that going to happen at all? Is, is everything just going to kind of break right for Eddie Lacy? And in that scenario, you know, you're kind of left holding your hands with Thomas Rawls and he's just he's not going to help you in fantasy. So before we move on to wide receivers, uh, I want to take a quick break for this podcast. New sponsor, we have a sponsor now, and it's PlayDraft. So listen up, if you're like me and you love fantasy football, you got to check out Draft. This app has been around for a little while. They had some DFS stuff last season, but now they have best ball leagues. And best ball drafts are great because you draft it and then you're done. No in-season moves, no trading, uh, no worrying about setting your lineup because best ball formats make sure you get your best team in every week. I drafted a team today. It took me about 20 minutes. 10 team in person, uh, quick timers, 30 seconds per pick. So it moves. You're really getting these picks in quick and furious. They also have slow drafts as well if you're into that. So any way you want to play, they got you covered for these best ball leagues. Once you're done drafting, that's it. And you can draft anytime you want. Leagues start every couple minutes. They're firing right now as I speak. Leagues start at 3 bucks a pop. They go all the way up to 100 bucks a pop. So no matter what your budget, you can find a way to play on draft. No salary caps. This is a real live snake draft, just like you would play with your friends in a season-long league. It's super easy to start playing on draft today. All you have to do is go to playdraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B. That's playdraft.com slash 2QB, all spelled out. And you can join a league or a game in minutes. And for a limited time only, all new players get free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code from this podcast, 2QB. That's T-W-O-Q-B. It's that simple. Play a real money game for free the first time you enter just by using the promo code TWOQB. So check it out. These best ball leagues are super fun. Playdraft.com slash TWOQB. That's playdraft.com slash 2QB. So yeah, very excited about that. Uh, Be sure to use the promo code and let's get into wide receivers. I want to start with two guys here because uh, we each had a different Patriots receiver on our list and that's, I think... Not entirely unpredictable, but uh, you put Brandon Cooks on yours. I put Chris Hogan on mine. These guys are so tough to evaluate because, like all Patriots except for Tom Brady, it's really difficult to know when to start them week to week. And Cooks isn't cheap either. I kind of struggle with the types of warts he has in his game, you know, that, you know, low volume, high efficiency potential that we that we are projecting for him versus the type of warts that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Allen Robinson and those types have, the guys who have higher volume most likely, but will be less efficient based upon their quarterbacks and the offenses that they play in. Uh, generally, if the roles are solidified enough, I- I'm thinking of Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker two years ago when Ryan Fitzpatrick had a good season. I, I prefer the volume guys like A-Rob and Hopkins, but there is appeal to Cooks, especially in best ball. And then Hogan you know, is just so cheap now based upon, again, all the other weapons that are, that are kind of suppressing his value and fighting him for targets. But we're seeing reports that Hogan is you know, acting as the regular wide receiver three in New England. I mean, I again, I'm struggling with, with how to evaluate this this entire receiver core. Um, how, how do you see it playing out? Both guys are definitely tough. Uh, I think I'm pretty much out on Chris Hogan. I think that he is a useful real-life receiver uh, who led the Patriots last year in air yards per target and yards per reception, averaged almost 18 yards per catch. And he was second behind Julian Edelman in snap percentage. He played 74% of the Patriots snaps last year. He was like a low volume deep threat, but he finished 85th among NFL receivers and targets. And how are we going to get his targets up? You know, and his big games really did not occur. People remember him in the playoffs, but they did not occur during the regular season. Now we have Brandon Cooks there and we have Rob Gronkowski coming back. 
Uh, Rob Gronkowski only played 30% of the Patriots snaps last year. You know, how often are the Patriots going to use their fullback this year, James Devlin, who played a big role for them this year? And when you use a fullback, you don't usually have a third receiver on the field. They traded for Dwayne Allen. You know, is, are they going to play more two tight end sets this year? It was something they couldn't do as much last year because Gronk was hurt so much. And if they play two tight ends, they're going to play fewer three receiver sets. You know, I think that Julian Edelman and Brandon Cooks are pretty much locked into this offense, but Chris Hogan's usage could go down. And I don't think that he had the regular season that people are remembering for, remembering him for last season. Uh, he just flashed in the playoffs due to a lot of opportunity, but the Patriots were not really trying to get him the ball when guys were healthy last season. Brandon Cooks, how much usage is he going to get? The Patriots are missing 87 targets from last year, but 84% of them were from Martellus Bennett. He, of course, is gone. Those are going to be soaked up by Rob Gronkowski. Brandon Cooks historically has been much less productive in outdoor games as opposed to indoor games. Uh, he's averaged almost 75 yards receiving per game in domes, but only 58 yards per game outdoors, 17 touchdowns in 30 career indoor games, four TDs in a 12-game sample outside. That may not matter very much, and it was very much tied to Drew Brees and his outdoor-indoor splits. But, I mean, I think it's something worth mentioning. And also, going from being the number one-two option to, uh, in New Orleans, you know, which annually finishes among the NFL leaders in pass attempts, uh, you know, last year I think that people – and I would agree that would would have considered Michael Thomas their number one receiver, but their their volume at the end of the year was pretty similar. I mean, Michael Thomas didn't have a way more targets than Brandon Cooks by any means. Uh, so now he's going from being like the one slash two in New Orleans to battling Gronkowski and Edelman and a deep running back core for touches. I think he's going to have big moments, and I think there are going to be weeks when I talk myself to him into playing him in daily fantasy, and I've definitely gotten some exposure to him in best ball but man i'm i'm pretty much out on him as a redraft weekly target you know the he is going off the board as the wide receiver 12 on fantasy football calculator wide receiver 13 in july uh, mfl 10s and i have him as the wide receiver 20 i understand why people want to try to paint a best case scenario picture for brandon cooks and i think he's going to have big moments but I think we're really going to struggle to rely on him week to week. Yeah, that best case scenario mentality is pretty pervasive, and it's it's definitely not something you want to try to avoid when when you're looking at this stuff. I, I find myself actually trying more often to think about a player's basement, a player's worst case scenario when I'm trying to evaluate them. And I, I'm with you. I have Cooks down, you know, uh, wide receiver 18, kind of in the same range as guys like Terrell Pryor and Alshon Jeffrey, and and that's just. It, it, that I'm not going to get him because someone else is going to draft him higher. Uh, who's another wide receiver on your list? Devontae Parker is a tough one for me because I want to believe in all of the hype that has been surrounding Devontae Parker because I believe I believe in his talent. I mean, I think that when he has been on the field, he has been a difference maker for uh, the Dolphins. I went back and looked. He's, he's, been, he's on at least five targets in exactly 16 games, which if you multiply five times 16, I mean, you're only at 80 targets. So that's not like a, 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 you know, an overly aggressive kind of extrapolation there. And he's at 1,107 yards and six touchdowns at almost 17 yards per reception in those 16 career games where, where he's drawn at least five targets. Um, he has big playability. And, and I mean, I, I want to believe in him because I, I truly think that Devontae Parker, his first two seasons in the league, the reason that he's been so inconsistent, and the coaching staff has told us this, is because he has had habits that have led him to, you know, suffering like uh, muscle injuries and not going hard in practice. And, and he apparently the light has flipped on for him this year. But I think he's going a little bit too early. Uh, wide receiver 36 ADP, you know, he should not be going ahead of Jeremy Macklin, Deshaun Jackson, John Brown, and Eric Decker, I don't think. And while I am buying into Devontae Parker as a serious threat to become the Dolphins' most dangerous receiver this season, in a decidedly run-first offense, 
um, that is built around Jay Ajayi, you know, he's going to have to really make a big move past Jarvis Landry to give us really good return on his ADP right now. You know, as as like a as a wide receiver three, we would be hoping that he would finish as a mid range wide receiver two to really help us. Um, and I think that Jeremy Macklin and John Brown in particular, guys going going behind Devontae Parker, are better bets to do that this year than Devontae Parker is. Yeah, I'm, I'm low on him as well. I, I The thing that really worries me about Parker is that he's still at the mercy of Ryan Tannehill to some extent. And, and it actually brings us to our next listener question. This one comes from Joe Anderson uh, at JoeyJojo333 on Twitter. And I love that handle. Just I don't know if you're a Simpsons guy, uh, Evan, but it reminds me of Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo, if uh, if anyone gets that reference. But uh, anyway, uh, Joe asks, for the past few years, we've heard that, quote, this is the year Tannehill takes the next step. And Joe wonders, will it ever happen? What do we expect this season? Uh, what do you think about Tannehill's prospects in 2017? Well, I would say that it is concerning that Adam Gase's first order of business in Miami was to take the ball out of Ryan Till. Tannehill's hands essentially Mm -hmm. and slow down the offense and you know make Jay Ajayi the focal point I I think that Tannehill made some strides last year in terms of his efficiency I mean it it was his most efficient year you know uh, according to every like advanced metric he had some bad games early on but I think he really settled into his new role and now it's like are the Dolphins going to want to expand him you know my my lean toward that would be no uh, but they do want to play faster this year. We, we need some just more volume for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, they were last in the NFL in plays per game last season. If they're able to play a little bit faster and go no huddle a little bit more, I think we could see an uptick on Ryan Tannehill's volume. But if they're forced to play the, way, the same way they did last year, he's not really going to offer us some upside. But what I like about him is that his ADP is so low. I mean, he's in the he's in the 20s among quarterbacks. Absolutely. And if he just stays healthy, he's go, you know he's going to beat that. If he can have just a, a year where he has a higher touchdown percentage than than normal, a higher touchdown rate than normal, uh, he can give us uh, so, some solid return on our investment investment. And if Devontae Parker does take a step forward and they're able to get their deep passing game clicking a little bit more this year, and they flashed that last year with Kenny Stills uh, and at times Devontae Parker, uh, and they they added that big, you know, red zone presence in Julius Thomas. I mean, I just like Ryan Tannehill at his ADP. And that's really what it comes down to. I think that the price on him is really good and I think he has a chance to go from a guy who, you know, you're you're drafting in the, in the 20s among quarterbacks and finish as like a top 13 to 15 guy. And that would be, you know, a lot of equity uh, from from drafting Ryan Tannehill at such a low cost. I totally agree. He's that Honda Civic I was talking about earlier in my car analogy. I, I think that he's being disrespected because he has been disappointing over the past couple of years. And a lot of that early optimism in his career was based upon the fact that he was running the ball a lot. Uh, he topped 210 rushing yards each of his first three seasons and culminated in, in 311 yards in 2014. And his yards per carry since then has gone way down. Um, and he's just not running anymore. And, and that's kind of to be suspected. It's what we're, you know, we were talking about that possibility with Cam Newton earlier. But like you said, the efficiency was all there last year. Uh, best completion rate of his career. Uh, best yards per attempt of his career. Best um, TDs per attempt. Uh, is 93.1 quarterback rating. That was also a career high. So there's definitely room for him to improve if he gets that extra volume. And that makes him a really appealing candidate for, you know, late round quarterback drafters like myself. Um, in fact, I did take him in the Scott Fishbowl with one of my uh, mid round picks. I think I got him in the ninth or 10th round. And that's, I'm sure he's going to beat that value just like you talked about um, because the perception of him has gotten so poor that we're kind of missing the fact that he is improving as a player. It's just the scheme there last season wasn't conducive for fantasy production. Um, But let's get back to wide receivers. Uh, I want to bring up one of my guys here again, uh, Randall Cobb. Are his best days behind him? I I mean, what are we supposed to do with Cobb? Uh, I'm not ready to say that his best days are behind him just because of how young he is. His like rate stats have just gone in the gutter over the past two years while playing through a bunch of 
ankle and hamstring injuries. I mean, over the first four years of his career, he averaged 9.9, almost 10 yards per target, and he caught a touchdown pass on 8.1% of his targets. Over the last two years, he's fallen from 10, almost 10 yards per target to under 7 yards per target, and he's gone from a guy who caught a touchdown on over 8% of his targets to under 5% of his targets. Carving out a lot of fantasy production from a from just a strictly a stat projection standpoint for Randall Cobb is a little bit difficult because we saw Devonte Adams take a step forward. We saw uh, Jordy Nelson get better as last year progressed and the Packers signed Martellus Bennett. So I think that the way to view Randall Cobb this year is not necessarily a guy who has a great, you know, stat projection and is definitely going to crush his ADP because of it. I think the best way to view him is just that he's, he's going really low. His ADP is, you know, the lowest it's been, I think, since, since his rookie season. And this is a middle round way to get exposure to Aaron Rodgers. And if one of those other pass catchers gets hurt or disappoints or whatever, or if Randall Cobb just starts playing like he did for the first four years of his career, he can be a guy who gives us a lot of return uh, at his cost. Again, you know, don't love his stat projections. He it really does not stand out from, from that standpoint. But just as a guy who is pretty cheap and gets you exposure to Aaron Rodgers, that makes him attractive as like an eighth round, seventh round, eighth round pick. Yeah, last episode uh, I had Rich Rebar on, and he tabbed Devontae Adams as a potential touchdown regression guy. Now, I'm not sure I totally buy into that, because there is some part of my mind that sees Adams as a guy who's still potentially ascending, uh, especially because, you know, that first year when he was so disappointing, we now know was marred by some injuries. Um, and it's possible that Aaron Rodgers is just that good, too, to make it look like these guys are going to regress in TDs uh, and then have them still deliver, you know, pretty good production. But I, I don't like to go against Rich. <laughs> so if if those yeah. touchdowns start to, to go away uh, from Devontae Adams, who's going to catch those? Now, Martellus Bennett is, is you know, a very... A uh, good answer to that question, but you know Cobb is another guy who, like we've seen him do it before, so it, it's not unheard of for for a guy like him to to bounce back. I'm just I struggle ranking him. I actually have him ranked right next to Devonte Parker. Uh, which one of those guys would you take if you had to choose between the two? So I have Devonte Parker at wide receiver 40 and Randall Cobb at wide receiver 41. <laughs> uh, I think I would probably rather take Parker just because sometimes I, I think I'll have a shot to get Cobb in the next round. Uh, because people are just, people are very down on Randall Cobb. But it's, you know, again, very, very close to me. Dude is only 26 years old still, which is kind of amazing. He came out of Kentucky, super, super young prospect. You know, and we'll, we'll see. He's, he's a conundrum player this year for sure. Yep. I have him at 38 and 39 in the same order. I have Parker just one spot ahead. And I love that you bring up that idea of taking Parker because you think you might get Cobb in the next round. Like, and that's something that, you have to play to the room. You have to play to ADP to some extent because that's the way you find value. I love that you brought that up. Another guy that Reeves talked about as a regression candidate was Tyreek Hill, and he made your list as well. He, I agree that he's definitely not going to score as many touchdowns as he did last year, but we can expect his general target volume to increase, right? We've seen Jeremy Macklin walk away, or, or not walk away, he was released. But um, it feels like Travis Kelsey is the number one receiver for the Chiefs. I'm not sure how excited we can get about Chris Conley and Albert Wilson, especially with Alex mm. Smith as the primary quarterback. And again, I have the same concerns with Hill and, and all these guys that I did with Spencer Ware. What if the offense just isn't very good? How do you feel about Hill? I think that he has a, a better floor than people are giving him credit for just because they are going to have to funnel offense through him. Yep. And, and this could be a Percy Harvin type situation you know Percy Harvin had some really big weeks he never really strung together a truly big season I guess because of injuries etc but he had a lot of big weeks not only with Brett Favre back in the day but also with Christian Ponder just because they had to run so much offense through him and uh, if you look at the splits with Tyreek Hill with Mack on in and out of the lineup last year so Tyreek his season really started in week seven so we're just going week seven through 17 when Macklin was out, he missed four games. Uh, Tyreek Hill went from five and a half touches per game to 8.3 touches per game. 
and Tyreek Hill went from 48% snaps when Macklin played to 62.3% snaps when Macklin missed. And against, again, that was during a rookie season where Tyreek Hill's a fifth round pick and he's learning about the NFL and he just played at West Alabama and you know, he was at a disadvantage in terms of usage for sure just to begin the season. And he wound up being very, very, uh, they wound up using him a lot and they wound up really leaning on him when Macklin was out. And now Macklin is gone. So I think that his floor is better than he is given credit for, um, because his role is so secure. I mean, you know, I, I guess we could paint a picture where he is suddenly he's so ineffective that they remove him from the offense. But that's not something that is really conceivable to me at this moment. He was the fastest player in the NFL last year. Uh, he can simply outrun defenses. And his game, I think, kind of fits with the Alex Smith style. And that, you know, he's going to run. He's going to do a lot of high percentage stuff. And that's how Alex Smith likes to play as a high percentage risk averse player. And Tyreek Hill is going to do a lot of stuff around the line of scrimmage. And it also gave me some optimism that Matt Harmon charted Tyreek Hill in his reception perception as a better pure route runner than people are giving him credit for. Um, he was also really good on his contested targets. He caught 80% of his contested targets, which was very, is very good for a guy who's five foot eight and 185 pounds. He's tough, man. He's not just fast. He's tough. He's sort of built like a little, uh, you know, physical running back. And, um, I have him ranked pretty aggressively. I mean, I have him as the wide receiver 26. I have him right behind Alshon Jeffrey and Martavis Bryant. And I have him ahead of Julian Edelman, Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Crabtree. You know, for a guy who's just simply this unproven in the new role that he is jumping into, it's, you know, it's aggressive. And sometimes when I look at it, I'm like, you know, I should have him behind Crabtree and Sanders and Edelman for sure. But I think that his floor, you know, I keep going back to how good I think his floor is. And because he's got that game breaking ability, he's going to give me spiked weeks. And I I anticipate some level of consistency with the occasional spiked week. And that's precisely what I'm looking for in a fantasy player. So I kind of want to ask you a a bigger picture about the way that you're ranking Hill. Like you said, you're aggressive on him. You are taking him higher than most people. And you're also a high volume player. You play in a lot of MFL 10s, MFL 25s, like you talked about earlier. If you are ending up with a guy like Hill in a lot of leagues because you're playing so much and you have him ranked so much higher, do you eventually start to pump the brakes and start to diversify and maybe move off a Hill and start targeting other players? Um, how do you, I guess, manage your, you know, quote unquote, fantasy portfolio like that? Yeah, I have not been going, I have not been getting him very much recently. I mean, even for as aggressively as I feel my ranking of him is, you know, I, I'm still lower than on him, I think, than a lot of people who are willing to take him in the fourth round. You know, I'm not taking him in the fourth round. I got a lot of exposure to him, or a de- I shouldn't say a lot, a decent amount of exposure to him when he was still like a borderline sixth, seventh round pick before mm-hmm. the Chiefs cut Jeremy Macklin. And I grabbed some shares of him after that, you know, just like in drafts that I w- was doing. And I was like, well, I'm going to take Tyreek Hill here. The Chiefs just cut Macklin. But I, I have not had a ton of exposure to him this year, you know, I, people just, people are very aggressive on Tyree Kill, and I think that it suits the best ball format because of the ty- ty- type of player he is. So I'm not going to knock it, but, you know, although I, I just described my ranking as aggressive of him, um, I think that, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that are much higher on him than I am. All right, we got one last wide receiver to get to. Tell us about the push and pull you feel when you're trying to evaluate Keenan Allen. So the Chiefs or the Chargers have a plethora of receiving options at this point. I mean, they've got two viable receiving tight ends. They used uh, Melvin Gordon much more in the passing game last year. They used the number seven overall pick on Mike Williams. Uh, they're bringing back Tyrell Williams. Uh, you know, they've got Dontrell Inman. They just they have a lot of, of, of good, useful pass catchers that are going to play. And then you have the injury history. You know, Keenan Allen has missed 25 of 48 games the last three years. Unfortunately, they have been due to very hard luck injuries. I mean, he missed time with a broken collarbone. That can happen to anybody. Lacerated kidney, that's completely freak injury that cost him eight, uh, eight of the games. Uh, 
And then last year he suffered a non-contact ACL tear just before halftime in week one after shredding Marcus Peters, the Chiefs, Chiefs' top corner, for six catches in the first half. You know, and then if you look back at just his last 16 games, he's at 116 catches, over 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns over his last 16. If he would have played that 16-game season last season, he would have been the wide receiver five overall in PPR behind Antonio Brown, Jordy Nelson, Mike Evans, and Odell Beckham. Damn. Yeah, I have him at wide receiver 23, and I think that the more positive reports we get during training camp, I will be more willing to push him up. Uh, but he is coming back from the knee injury, and he came out of college with knee problems. You know, he had a, a left PCL injury coming out of Cal that pushed him into the third round of the draft. Now he's coming off the right ACL tear. Uh, his ADPs are wide receiver 15 on fantasy football calculator, wide receiver 17 in MFL 10s. I have him at wide receiver 23, so I'm lower than him on him than the field. Um, and I don't know that I'm entirely comfortable with that. You know, it's, it's still a, a touch and go sort of situation with me and Keenan, with Keenan Allen and my ranking of him. I love him as a player. Um, uh, but there are, is more competition for targets and now he's coming off the ACL tear. Yeah. I have him at wide receiver 21, pretty similar spot. I'm not ending up with him anywhere because of that. And it's, it's just crazy how far removed we are from that you know, full season of production that he had in 2013. It was easily his most efficient year. But like you said, the if you kind of prorate what he has done in recent seasons, he still looks like a good player. He just can't stay on the field for whatever reason. And, and you throw in the fact that they drafted Mike Williams. They still have Hunter Henry, Antonio Gates, Tyrell Williams, who's an ascending player. These All these receivers just kind of make me wonder, like, even if Allen is healthy, what's his volume going to look like relative to, to that 2013 season where he really got all the targets. I'm I'm with you. I think that there's just a little bit too much unknown for me to feel comfortable comfortable drafting him at his ADP and so I'm I'm missing out on him. Um let's close it up with a with a tight end. Uh we only got one to talk about. This is one that that I've kind of struggled to understand or, or get a good feel for and that's Delaney Walker. Um two new receivers in town in Tennessee uh Corey Davis and Eric Decker now competing for targets with Walker. I imagine this is still going to be a relatively run-heavy offense. It seems like there are just more appealing mid-tier tight ends this season compared to last as well, like Kyle Rudolph, Martellus Bennett. Even Eric Ebron is a guy uh, that is is getting a little bit more buzz this season. But I still have Walker at tight end seven behind you know that kind of top six of more talented guys, in my opinion, Gronkowski, Kelsey, Jordan Reed, Eifert, and Greg Olson. Oh, and Jimmy Graham. What do you think about Walker, and how are you – like, are you targeting him? Is he a guy you're ending up with at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, he will go ninth and tenth round. You know, for tight ends, it's like – it's such a tight end, uh, touchdown-driven position. Mm-hmm. And although he is not going to be – well, he actually may still be the number one receiver, but – He's not going to be one of the most heavily targeted tight ends in the league anymore in all likelihood. But because the offense is so much better, that's going to give him more scoring opportunities. You know, th- this is another situation when we're, we're comparing and contrasting just like our expectations for the entirety of an offense versus like, you know, where can we slot in targets to each member of the offense? And, you know, we come away kind of underwhelmed with, Everybody in the Titans pass catcher core because we don't expect them to, you know, throw throw the ball a lot. And, you know, when we put it out on a sheet of paper, you know, no no one's really beating 100 targets, you know. So from a stat projection angle, I think that Delaney Walker, you could end up really misevaluating or undervaluate undervaluing him. Um, whereas I think that because he is in what is going to be a better offense with more touchdown chances. And he's got the, you know, multiple years now with Marcus Mariota having like rift with Marcus Mariota and having established chemistry with Marcus Mariota. Whereas, you know, a bunch of the new guys are, they're, they're new guys. Great point. I think that, I think that Delaney Walker is a very good target right now who you can usually get in the ninth and 10th rounds. And, um, certainly as like a tight end too. He's a, he's a badass tight end too in, uh, MFL tens. 
Um, but I think that even as a starter in the ninth and tenth rounds, you know, as your tight end one, I think he's he's a fine play. I think he's going to score touchdowns this year, and he's got that built-in chemistry already with Marcus Mariota, whereas these new guys have yet to establish that. Well, I think you sold me, uh, but just in general, are you taking him ahead of any of the more like injury risk types like Eifert and Graham? No, uh, I think Jimmy Graham is like, if I'm going to go like as a, with a sixth or seventh round tight end, that's the guy I'm looking at. Eifert is just, he's a little bit too scary for me. We still don't even know if he's going to be ready for week one. Went through that last year. I was way too high on Tyler Eifert last year. He ends up missing half of the season. Uh, and his injury history is just, you know, I went through this when I did my, uh, my Bengals team preview. It's, it, it, it is worrisome, man. I mean, it's, it's always a new thing and it is, you know, it's, it's at areas of the body where, you know, it's, 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 it's worrisome. Uh, it's, you know, it's backs, it's, it's, it's a significant ankle surgery. Uh, and that's what he's recovering from right now. So I think he's, he's at a little bit elevated injury risk. I think all tight ends are at elevated injury risk, but I think that he is at, uh, an enhanced elevate, uh, injury risk. We don't know if he's going to be ready for week one. And although he has clearly shown the ability to score touchdowns, and I think that there's a place in the draft, I'd be willing to take him. You know, I, I think Jimmy Graham, uh, I, I like Jimmy Graham much better than Tyler Eifert. And uh, based on their ADPs, I would much rather have Delaney Walker and Martellus Bennett than, than Tyler Eifert. Well, now you make me feel bad about all the Tyler Eifert shares I have, Evan. I've been drafting him a lot, but I, I guess I haven't. I'm, I'm just too optimistic, I guess, because I've, I've, you see the talent. You see that kind of Gronk-like physique, and, and, you know, we've seen the efficient stats he has put up when he when he has played. I, I don't know. I fell in love with that this offseason, and... and You've now convinced me that I need to divert more attention to Delaney Walker and Martellus Bennett. And I, and I will admit that in a lot of the drafts I've been doing, when I take Eifert in a spot where I feel like he does belong or a spot where he deserves to go, I'll often look back at the draft and and see where some of those later tight ends went, specifically Martellus Bennett. He's a guy who like always seems to go later than he should, in my opinion. And I always think, man, I should have just taken a different position in that Eifert spot and taking Bennett, you know, two or three rounds later. Any other tight ends you want to talk about here? I know you didn't have any uh, on your list, but um, anybody else you want to discuss? That's that's a good question. Um, I, I, like Jared Cook, I think, is interesting for where he goes in drafts. I know he's never fulfilled expectations, but he is the kind of player who can give us some big weeks. And there's a lot of opportunity in that Raiders pass catcher core where they've given far too many targets to Seth Roberts the past few years and really got nothing out of their tight ends. And while Jared Cook has, you know, a gross floor, um, I think that for where he goes, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th round, he is pretty intriguing. Uh, I think that Julius Thomas uh, will be just extremely touchdown dependent this year. I think the Dolphins are going to want, the Dolphins were a three receiver team last year. I mean, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, all those guys were over 70% of the snaps. I don't think that that's going to change this year. So they're only going to be able to play one tight end. And they paid a bunch of money to Anthony Fasano, who's the best run blocking tight end in the league last year. I think that he's going to play a lot between the twenties and we're just, we're not going to get many open field opportunities for Julius Thomas. And I think that his value is going to be just entirely touchdown based. Um, so you know, just, just some lower, lower round uh, tight ends to consider and, and discuss. Good stuff, Evan. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on. We're going to wrap this episode up. Um, but before we do that, you want to let folks know uh, where they can find you uh, and what you've been working on lately. Yeah, I've been doing uh, team-by-team fantasy previews for every team. I have uh, 24 out of 32 done. I'm trying to get the Raiders done tonight, and then I'll be to the, the home stretch. But that's my focus right now. Uh, and then you know we're going to be diving into training camp and watching preseason games. It's going to be awesome. All right, and you guys can find Evan on Twitter, at Evan Silva, although chances are if, if you're a fan of 2QBs, you were probably a fan of Evan Silva long before that and are already following him. But if you're not, get on that. Uh, one of the best follows in the fantasy community. Uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, us at the show or 2QBs, the site, uh, you can find us on Twitter, at 2QBs, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, you can email us as well if you have uh, longer-form questions, uh, league strategy, draft strategy, stuff like that. 
2QBs at gmail.com, spelled the same way. Uh, remind you once again to rate and review the podcast. And remember, if you screenshot your review and send it to us, uh, you'll have a chance to win a free copy of our 2017 draft guide, which just came out today. We're super excited about it, super proud of it. A lot of great work, a lot of great contributors in that draft guide, so don't miss it. Uh, and yeah, if you, if you don't want to do the rating and review thing, sure, time is precious. Uh, and just cut to the chase and, and purchase your own copy of the draft guide at 2QBs.com. Remember, if you use the promo code 2QBXP, you'll get 10% off. And that's the numeral 2 in the promo code 2QBXP. All right, guys, that does it for this episode. Uh, number 45 in the books. Draft season's here. Get excited, and uh, we'll, we'll be here to help you through it. Uh, check us out again next week. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios.